The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. You can be taking your Bibles and find your place in the Gospel of John, chapter number 16. And uh, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, Jamie is right. Mayview is that direction. He is not directionally challenged. I am directionally challenged. Steve Tillis, give directions to somebody, said no one ever, all right? Sometimes I actually have to you know, put in the GPS in Raleigh how to get back to my house. So don't take my advice. In fact, hey, but I'm not alone. There was a deacon up here on stage. I'm not going to say which deacon it was, Bill Bailey. I'm not going to say who it was, but somebody was pointing. I was just agreeing with a deacon, which tells you don't ever agree with the deacons, all right? No, I'm just, I'm just messing around. John chapter number 16 uh, uh, for those of you maybe haven't been here in a little while, or maybe you're visiting with us, uh, we're in the middle of a series on the New City Catechism. And I uh, say, wait a minute, this is a Baptist church. Yes, catechism is just simply an old school way of, of learning uh, biblical lessons, biblical truth in a question and answer format. And so uh, we've done, I think, about 17 of those questions. And to this week, we're on question 18. And uh, if you want to follow along with us, there are a little pamphlet books out in the foyer. On your way out, you can pick up a new city catechism. I want to encourage you to do your devotions, to work uh, with uh, your uh, children or family members uh, through the week. You can see exactly uh, the, uh, sometimes the text that's there, the question that will be discussed, some small commentary. And uh, for children, there's even a little uh, a button to play, 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 press, press, where they uh, will sing songs about the uh, question at hand. And uh, so please be a part of that. You can also get us an app on your phone. Just simply type in New City Catechism. It's free. We want you to follow along. We want our people to follow along with us. The last three weeks have been tough. Uh, I think three weeks ago, the question was, what is sin? Everybody wants to get up and go to church on Sunday morning to find out that the question is, what is sin? But it's in the Bible, so we looked at what the Bible has to say about that. And then last week, the question didn't get any easier. The next question is, what is idolatry, right? And so we had to speak about what does it mean to be an idolater. And we said that every human being in the world and partakes in idolatry. You may be here today and say, well, I'm not an idolater. I don't worship at a, at a totem pole or this or that. But I assure you, if there's ever been a time in your life where anything has been more important to you than Jesus Christ then the Bible would say that you are an idolater. The good thing is, is that there's mercy and forgiveness and grace in the cross of Christ that we just sang about, whereby He gives us a new heart to worship and serve Him. And I remember last Sunday I was speaking about idolatry, and I said, hopefully next week will be a cupcake message. Maybe the, maybe the catechism will throw me an easy one. Does Jesus love you? And we get to say yes. But as I look this week at the catechism, that was not the case. In fact... And the question got a little tougher this week. The question was, uh, will any sin or disobedience go unpunished by God? Well, that's the question for today. 
Does God simply wink at and look past and look over? Is God some sort of uh, bearded old grandpa that sits in heaven and looks down upon the wickedness and the sinfulness and the injustice that takes place in our planet and, and just smile and sweep that off to the side and say, well, you'll be all right. Everybody makes mistakes. And one day you'll just take a road and all roads lead to me anyway. Or is there something more serious about this question? Will any sin or any disobedience go unpunished? And of course, the answer in the catechism is no. God is angry at sin and disobedience. And all sin and all disobedience must be judged because God is a holy and a righteous God. And He wouldn't be holy and He wouldn't be righteous if He didn't pour out His judgment and wrath upon all disobedience and all sin in the world. He is a just and holy God. Therefore, all sin must be judged. I smiled a little bit this week as I was reading through the catechism and, and studying the Scripture passage and all of that. And There is a little children's button on there where you can press it, and a, a little children's choir will come on and sing a little jingle to the answer of the catechism. And so when, you know, when the question is, uh, you know, what is the only hope we have in life and death? It is uh, that we are not our own, but we belong to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's beautiful because the children come on, the choir is singing, and they just sing that, uh, that uh, the only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. This week I turn it on, and there's a host of a children's choir singing, no, God is angry at your sin and will judge you forever. And I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty heavy. But, brothers and sisters, we need to look at what the Bible teaches about that. Fortunately, this week in the passage that we're in, we have both a comfort and conviction. We have a passage that speaks to us both of the comfort and the mercy of God in the person of the Holy Spirit, and He also speaks to us of His conviction. And I'm so thankful that the Bible is very much that way, that God comes to us and He says, I must judge sin. Your disobedience, your ungodliness, your wickedness, the things that you did in the dark of your life this week, they will be brought into the light and they cannot stand the light of God and they will be judged forever. And at the same time, God comes to us this week in the passage and He explains to us that the Spirit of God through the Lord Jesus Christ and His cross and resurrection makes it possible so that every man, woman, and boy and girl in this room and around the world who will put their faith in Jesus Christ alone can have their sins washed away. Amen? We can have our judgment take place at Calvary rather than in the end of days suffering the judgment Ourself. So today, let's look a little bit at the comfort and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and His ministry. Look with me at John chapter number 16, beginning in verse number 5. Jesus speaking, But now I am going to Him who sent me. And none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. 
You might have profit there. It is, it is really to your advantage. It is advantageous for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper or the comforter or the counselor, this is the spirit of the living God, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Our Holy Father, we come to you now. And we thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the love of our Father, and for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit of God. We pray right now, Lord, that in this space, in this time, right now, that you would make yourself manifestly present in this room with us. I pray that every person in this room that is listening to the Word would spend as much effort as they can concentrating on Your Word and that we would be sensitive to the movement of the Spirit of God in our souls and that through Your Word and through Your Spirit and through Jesus Christ being lifted up that we would draw close to You that you would give comfort to believers in this room, yea, that you would give comfort to the church on a wider level, and that you would bring deep, convicting, convincing, powerful cross-examination into our lives of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now this passage, Father, tells us that your sweet spirit is alive and well among us, and doing your bidding and the Son's bidding in all of the world and in this building right now. So we ask that you would be pleased by this time, and we ask that you would change us. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So for the next few minutes, let me just walk down through these verses and uh, explain them to you and maybe make some points of application for you. So look back, if you would, at verse number 5. Jesus speaking now to the disciples. He says, But now I'm going to Him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Now, if you're an astute reader and you were reading, uh, say, John 13 to John 17, you would know that there was a previous time where the disciples were actually inquiring about where Jesus is going. What, you know, Thomas even says, uh, where are you going? We don't even know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? Well, you say, well, how can, is this a contradiction in the Bible? Well, of course not. You simply need to understand the semantic range of the language that's going on here. You see, previous when Thomas makes that statement it's like uh, where you're going what the interest of the text is not that the disciples are concerned about where Jesus is going but they're concerned because he's not going to be with them. It's kind of like when your children are running around the house and they're still in that state where they love you. And, you know, now, now some of your children are at that state where they want you to drop them off from school about six blocks down the road and they don't want you to show up with them at the mall. But uh, they, 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 there is a time when children are young and they love you and they want you there and they, they even have that attachment phase. And uh, they may say, Where are you going? Where are you going? They really don't care where you're going. The issue is that you're leaving them. 
And Jesus now speaks in chapter 16, verse number 5. And He says, The time has come that I'm going to have to go back to the One who sent me the Father. And none of you are really asking me about that. You see, what they were expecting was Christ to set up His kingdom rule right then, for Him to make all things right and ready at that moment. But what Jesus knew that they didn't know was that He must walk the path of the cross. Jesus must walk the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem with the cross attached to His shoulder, with the bloody brow, with the beaten back, with uh, the, the stains of all of our sin attached to His soul. He must go to the hill of Calvary outside of Jerusalem, be lifted up on the cross, dropped into the socket of earth, and there alone in the darkness of night die for our sins. But they didn't know that yet. What they were most concerned about is that He was leaving them. But look back at the text and look what it says in verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, right, that I'm leaving, that I have to go, sorrow has filled your heart. And there are some brothers and sisters in this room right now, and sorrow has filled your heart for one reason or another. You may not be like the disciples. You, you may not have in sorrow today that Jesus has left, but you have sorrow for many other reasons. And Jesus comes to us in this passage and He says, listen, you're so concerned that I'm leaving you and there's so much sorrow in your heart. And look what Jesus says to them. But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. Aren't you glad that Jesus tells the truth? Amen. There are so many people and so many things in this world that lie to us, that they're charlatans and liars and thieves and deceiving. But when Jesus comes around, Jesus always tells the truth. You say, what is truth? Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Jesus is telling them the way that things really are. And He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Here's the comfort for a Christian today in this room. The comfort for the Christian today is that it is better to have the Spirit of God in and with you now than for Jesus Christ in the flesh to be walking beside you. Now I want you to pause and think about that for a moment. Do you believe that? What would you rather have? Would you rather walk out of here today and get in your vehicle and Jesus sit down beside you in the car seat? Or would you rather His Holy Spirit be with you every day of your life? According to the words of Jesus, He says it's more advantageous, it is more profitable for you with a broken, with a sorrowful heart that My Spirit come and live with you and in you than if I were to be with you every day. I want to pause for a moment and say, oftentimes when I do a funeral, I'll read from John 14, 1-6, through Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, Behold, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again, that where I am I may receive you to My own. 
And that brings comfort to us, does it not? When one of our loved ones dies, we say they're in heaven with Jesus. But Jesus ultimately says the great comfort is not that we have a mansion in heaven. The great comfort is not that on one day He will come again. The great comfort is that when Jesus leaves, He leaves with us the Spirit of the living God. If you're of a broken heart today, I want you to be encouraged that you are not alone, but that the Spirit of God is with you. That He loves you, that He guides you, that He'll teach you, that He'll comfort you, that He'll help you, and He'll walk with you every day of your life. Yes, there are mansions. Yes, there is heaven. But the great and the wonderful thing about it is that you don't have to wait to get to heaven. Heaven has come to the here and now through the presence of the Spirit of God in your life. And so why would Jesus make a statement like that? And it's more advantageous for, me to, for, for the Spirit of God to come than for me to be there with you. Well, I would say one thing is that the Spirit of God universalizes the ministry of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus Christ was on earth in the physical body, He was localized so that when He was walking through Jerusalem or Nazareth or Galilee, you had to be actually where Jesus was. If you wanted to see Him, if you wanted to talk to Him, you had to get to where Jesus was. But when the Spirit of Christ comes into the world, He says, I send you my Spirit. And now, whether you live in Barbados, whether you live in Raleigh, whether you live in California, whether you live in Turkey, no matter where you live in the world, if you're a believer, you can instantly be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ by way of the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit of God makes Jesus accessible to everybody at all times by His power and by His mercy. And the reason why some of you sit here today and you're befuddled at the message is because in the last seven days you've not spoken to Him. He's a reality only in your mind and on Sundays. But you've not sought Him pled for Him to speak to you, read about Him, worshipped Him, and spoken to Him daily this week. What I want to encourage you is, if you have a broken heart, the Spirit of God is with you right now, and you can talk to Him. And He loves you. And He knows everything that is going on in your life. You don't have to be one of the twelve apostles you don't have to be in Jerusalem. Can I tell you something? You don't even have to be in this church building to speak and to have the Spirit of God with you. Whether you're in your car, whether you're laying in bed, or wherever you are, God's Spirit is with you at all times. Now, if that be true, let me ask you just a second. Did you talk with Him this week? Can I, let me just rub this in, massage this into your life a little bit. If your heart is broken and sorrowful, and maybe your life is turned upside down like the disciples, did you spend time this week actually talking to God as if He were present in the room with you? When you pray, do you, when you close your eyes and pray, do you think that God is somewhere out beyond the moon? Or do you speak to Him as if He's right beside you?
I heard a preacher say one time that, um, remember this, and these are good words for all pastors to remember, that every person that sits in a pew in a congregation sits beside a puddle of their own tears. And there are people in this room who are grieving and hurting and struggling and wounded. And what I want you to know is that the Spirit of Christ is right there with you. And He loves you. And you can talk to Him. And you can tell Him what's going on in your life. The Spirit of Christ universalizes the ministry of Jesus. Not only does He universalize the ministry of Jesus, He internalizes the ministry of Jesus. See, when Jesus came to the world, He walked in that physical body and He was healing lepers and He was raising the dead and He was giving sight to the blind and He was giving new life and salvation to unbelievers and He was doing all of that from the outside in. But He says when the Spirit of Christ comes, He will live inside of you. And so the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, that our outward man or our outward flesh is decaying. It is falling apart. It is getting older and older older and older, but the inward person is being renewed daily from the inside out. The Spirit of God works from the inside of our own heart and soul, and it manifests itself coming outward into all things that we do. The Spirit of Christ takes the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and He changes you from the inside out. That should bring you comfort. Not only that, I, I want you to know that the Spirit of Christ not only brings us comfort because He universalizes the ministry of Jesus so that you can access Him wherever. He internalizes it so that He is changing you day by day so that you're becoming a different kind of person conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That ought to bring you comfort. If you're in here today and, and you're a believer and you're trying to be discipled and grow in faith and, and follow after Jesus, I want you to continue to put effort, read your Bible and pray and come to church and get involved in a Sunday school class or a small group, live for Jesus, work hard at it, but never forget this. It is the Spirit of Christ within you that is causing the inward transformation into Christ's likeness. He is the one. He is the one who is changing us from faith to faith, from grace to grace. He is the one who is producing righteousness within us. And so whether you had a good day or a bad day, the Spirit of God is at work inside of you. Let me give you one more point of comfort and then we'll move into the thrust of the text. Y'all ever, uh, y'all remember that show when you were a kid? It came on uh, Mission Impossible. Anybody in here remember that? Right. You know, and at the, uh, at the beginning of the show, he gets like a tape recorder or something and, and, um, and says, uh, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is thus and so, you know. And there's always a wink in their eye because they know that next week they're going to be back to do the same thing again. And then they, they would drop the tape recorder in the sink or something would happen and it would implode, you know what I mean, and go up in smoke. And uh, that's the first recorded case of government mismanagement of money. And um, anyway, Mission Impossible. If you want a real mission impossible, just look at what's going on in these chapters. Here is this guy in some far-flung corner of the Roman world in a Jewish colony 
who's born into a, a carpenter's family and raised in Nazareth. And is there any good thing that can come out of Nazareth? And for three years, he walks around. He gets a big crowd and then everybody leaves him. He dies a terrible, gruesome, awful death. In fact, it's called the death of a curse. He hangs on a tree. He dies. And the mission that he gives is, I want you 12 guys, most of which are fishermen and tax collectors that people hate, and I want you to go turn the world upside down by saying that this Jewish rabbi in this far-flung corner of the world that has this message and then died, he rose from the grave and you should follow him. I want you to go change the world with that message. Oh, and if that's not enough, right before you get ready to go do that, I'm going to die. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. And the message of Christ and His cross and resurrection has spanned the globe and brought millions to faith in Christ. Now, just how do you think that happens? Because the Spirit of God is with us. God did not just leave us on our own to build the church, to see people saved, to disciple people. We are not alone. Oh, you ought to receive comfort on that. Maybe you have family members who are lost. You have friends who you're trying to share the gospel with. You want to see the Lord bless and grow and salvation come. And we work and do everything we possibly can. But don't ever forget this. We're not doing this alone. God did not tell us to go out and do the mission by ourselves. The mission becomes possible because the Spirit of the living God is with us and in us. He's the one that makes it possible. Now, why don't all of you that are believers today just take a deep breath and sigh that relief that the Spirit of God is in control and He will bring about salvation in His time and in His way and in His will. God has not lost control. The ship is not out of control. The waves are not driving anyone or anything under. The Spirit is in absolute control of the gospel around the world. Amen? I hope that brings you comfort today. Now let me change for a moment and hopefully bring us some conviction. This is what the Spirit of God does. Look at verse number 8. And He, that is the Spirit, and when He comes, He will convict. Now that word there for convict is hard to represent in English. It's hard to get your word wrapped around in one word. It could be convict, convince, cross-examine, expose is one word. Here's the sense of the word. Uh, This word, when it was written, has very much a judicial uh, um, backing behind it, and it means more or less a cross-examination but not in the sense as if it needs to make somebody guilty, for God has already pronounced unbelievers guilty. The Spirit of God doesn't need to, it doesn't need to, uh, to, to make us guilty. We are guilty because of what we are done. In fact, there's a personal nature to this. It is that when the Spirit of God comes into the world, He will convict the world or convince the world. That is, He will come on a personal level to unbelievers in the world, and He will convince them of these truths. And look at what it says. 
verse 8 is a summary, and verse 9, 10, and 11 just spell it out. So look at verse number 8. And when He comes into the world, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So let me just give you three points in verse 9, 10, and 11. Look at verse 9. First of all, He will convict or personally demonstrate this in our lives concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. The Spirit of God comes into the world and He comes to unbelievers. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. You say, are you trying to convince me? My dear friend, I want you to know that in and of myself, my poor stammering lips will convince no one. I never, ever, ever preach the Gospel thinking somehow that if I do the best I can or if I've studied hard enough or if somehow my words are eloquent that you'll come into faith in Christ. If you believe on Jesus, it is because the Spirit of the living God does a marvelous miraculous work in your soul to turn on the light of the gospel and you believe it is his work that you believe on Jesus not my work my work is to faithfully tell you that Jesus lived and died and rose again and that all that come to him by faith can have everlasting life but if it's just from my words to your heart it will never work the spirit of God is the one that is tapping on your heart right now there are people in this room you're sitting here you're listening to me you wish that I'd lower my volume and I'll try my best I get a little excited talking about Jesus but there's some of you in here right now and every so often as I'm speaking something's going I don't like that and you're distracted and you want to think about everything else I'll start talking about how you've sinned against God and every lie you've ever told you'll pay for it every time you've ever gossiped everything that you've done to offend a holy God you will stand in judgment over and you don't like it and it pricks deeply at your heart that's not me that's the spirit of God pleading with you, wooing you, pulling you to believe on Jesus Christ. Oh, dear friends, we head out into the world and we're to share the Gospel. We're to tell people, to convict the world of sin. Oh man, I heard just this morning, early this morning, I heard about a young man who killed his mother and arranged the scene to look like she had been raped because he would, she would not give him money to buy drugs. How awful that is, except for the fact that it appeared on the 29th page of that news article. And if that kind of heinous crime and sin and wickedness appears on the very last page of a news article, where on earth do you think the sin of unbelief in Jesus appears in the world? Nowhere. So how will they be saved, dear believer? By you faithfully sharing the truth of Jesus. And by the Spirit of the living God doing the work that only He can do. Many of you in this room, if we were to take time and talk about your salvation, you know what you'd say? I grew up in church. I did this. I did that. I heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and nothing ever changed in my life. I just kind of, it was all, you know, it was religion. It was what I was supposed to do. But one day, rain fell from the sky. Something dawned on me. A light went off in my mind and I instantly knew that I had sinned before a holy God and I saw myself as wicked. I saw myself as needy 
meeting Jesus and I looked to the cross and like never before, Jesus became wonderful to me. All these songs that we sing near the cross, near the cross. I now want to sing that because Jesus is so glorious and wonderful and good and that had never happened before. That was the Spirit of God raining down into your heart, reaching in and grabbing you by the throat and saying, believe on Jesus. Only He can do that. And if you're in here today and you are an unbeliever, I want you to understand, you don't go into the fiery judgments of hell in the eternal future to come because you lie or because you cheated or because you did this or did that. You go there because you reject Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God comes into the world and He convicts the world of sin because they do not believe on Jesus Christ. When you're sharing the Gospel with an unbeliever, don't let them get you sidetracked. There are questions you don't have the answers to. There's a whole bunch of conversations to be had. But the most important issue and what stands between them and eternity, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Have you believed on Him for eternal life? Look at what it says in verse number 10. The Spirit of God, when He comes into the world, He convicts them of righteousness and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see Me. What does that mean? Verse number 10. It means this, when the Spirit of God comes into the world, He convicts the world of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, everybody in the world has some form of righteousness, do they not? Everybody thinks that they're good enough or that they're, they're, they're you know, I've never met uh, anybody that said, you know, uh, my, all my bad deeds outdo my good deeds. Now, most people kind of have a balance in their mind and they think, ah, I'm just good enough to get into heaven. And the truth of the matter is all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. All of our attempts to be good enough, to be righteous, to be holy, it is all sin upon sin upon sin. And the Spirit of God comes into the world and He says the only righteous that will do is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. My dear friend, if you try to live your life being good enough and righteous enough, and you may, you may say both sides, negative and positive. Give me just a minute. We'll finish in just a few minutes. You, from the negative standpoint, you say, I've never murdered and I've never done this and I've never done that. All of the negative, I'm not doing all of those things. But does your righteousness, even if that were true and it's not, does your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees? Can you look and say that you're as holy as God, that you do as righteousness as God? Is your righteousness on par with the righteousness of God? Or deep in your own heart and mind, right now, can you at least be honest with yourself and say, what nobody else knows is that I know that I fail and come short of the glory of God and I sin. And what you need is not anything you can produce on your own. What you need is what only Jesus can provide.
Isn't that the glory of it? Isn't that the glory of Jesus coming into the world? God looks down upon poor humanity and says they messed everything up, they've done wrong, and every time they try and do right, it works out the wrong way. And Jesus says, I'll send my son into the world. And he'll keep all of the law and he'll do it perfectly. And he'll be righteous where they have fallen. He'll do what Adam could not do. He'll be perfectly obedient and perfectly righteous. And not only will he always keep the law, he'll go to the cross and take all of your unrighteousness into his own life, pay the just penalty for it, raise again so that he might give you his own life. Man, that's a good deal, isn't it? The Spirit of God comes into the world and here's what He does. He convicts unbelievers that Jesus was righteous and you're not. Look what He says. He tags it on in verse number 10. And concerning righteousness, why? Because I go to the Father and you no longer see Me. Now how do you think it's possible for Him to get to the Father if He had to go through the cross? The resurrection. You see, what the Spirit of God does is He says this, Jesus came into the world and He died on the cross and the only reason why He was able to raise from the grave, the reason why death could not hold Him, the reason why the grave tried to put its tentacles around Him, but it could not hold Him in the grave, the reason why Jesus comes out of the grave is because there's no sin in Him. The reason why you and I stay in the grave is because there's sin in us. And the Spirit of God comes along and whispers in your heart right now where you are. If you'll give up trying desperately to save yourself and believe in Me, I will give you My righteousness. And when you die, My righteousness is the key that fits the lock to undo the door of hell and death. Now, sinner, put your faith in Christ and His righteousness and not your own. And dearly beloved believers of this church, when you're witnessing for the Gospel, you remember Keep talking about Jesus. And the Spirit of God is doing work in their own hearts and minds that you cannot see. We give altar call in this church uh, periodically, most weeks. I want you to understand, sometimes when we stand and sing, somebody said to me one time, man, pastor, what a great word from the Bible. I wish somebody would respond. Can I tell you something? Don't ever say that to me. Because whether you come down here and pray or whether you stay where you are, I already know that God is working on your heart, twisting and turning deep in your soul. Most of the people in this church that have gotten saved have done so not at this altar. But I usually get an email or a phone call on a Monday or a Tuesday that says, hey, could you meet for coffee? That's something I want to talk about. 
You're wrestling right now with the Spirit of God. And He is working on your life. You've been coming here. You've been listening to the Word. And now it's time. The Spirit is convicting you of the righteousness of Jesus. Stop trusting yourself. Put your faith and confidence in Jesus. What's it say lastly in verse number 11? And concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world has been judged. It's a perfect tense at the end of that verse. What it says is that the ruler of this world is judged. And now just think about that for a moment. The, the Jews and everybody else and all of us, we send Jesus to the cross to condemn Him. And what does Jesus say before He gets to the cross? It's not me who's condemned by the cross. It's the devil who's condemned by the cross. His death nail is the love of the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus dies, it is the universal irony. It is, the, it is this galactic irony that Jesus is condemned to die on the cross, and yet it is the devil who is condemned. He's judged already. And one day, he'll be cast into the lake of fire. Now stay with me for a moment. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you're judged already as well. You stand under the condemnation of God. And when you die, you will pay for your sin of rejecting Jesus eternally. I'll let that sit in for a moment. I've told this story here before. I was thinking this week of a better way to illustrate it. And I couldn't come up with one, so I'll just give you this. In the days of the prairies, you know, coming along the plains in wagons, periodically a family would be on their wagon and they would see a prairie fire coming from the distance. And everybody would stop the wagons and they would get out and they would burn a patch of land themselves. And they'd take the wagons and their families and they would put the wagons and the families inside of the patch of land that they burned. Because they knew they couldn't outrun the fire. And when the raging winds blew the fire into the dry summer, and it came across where they were, the ground had already been burned. And it would burn around them. It would not burn them. What I tell you is that Jesus Christ went to the cross, and He suffered the burning judgment of your sin. You cannot outrun 
death. And you cannot outrun eternity. What you can do is stop and get out of your wagon and come to the ground of the cross of Jesus and accept the judgment that was poured out on Him for you and ask Him to have mercy on you and to save you and to make you the Lord of His life. And when judgment comes, you'll be safe in Him. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Heads are bound, eyes are closed. Just a minute, we'll sing a song together. I've tried my best today from this passage to bring you comfort and to bring you conviction. And only you know which one you need today. I pray that the Spirit of God would sit down on the pew right beside you. And I pray that you'd be honest with Him. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, talk to Him right now and ask Him to save you. Give, give your life to Him. And He'll give His life to you. Maybe there's some brothers and sisters in here today of a broken heart. Why don't you just draw in a fresh breath. Stop trusting so much in yourself and rest in the promise that God, through His Spirit, is in control of this world. He's in control of this church. And He is in control of your life. Now just trust Him. And when I say that, something comes to your mind that you're struggling to trust Him with. Release it. Let's give that over to Him. I say this and we'll sing. If this week you find yourself struggling with whether you've really trusted Christ or not, I really mean it. Please call me. Email me. Come by. We want to help you. This is nothing to play about. This is of eternal matters. We want to help you trust Jesus Christ. Not in a religious way, in a supernatural way that changes you from the inside out. Just stand and sing with us a verse or two. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.